What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Dressed, the history of fashion is a production of Dressed Media. people in the world, we all have one thing in common. Every day, we all get dressed. Welcome to Dressed, the history of fashion, a podcast that explores the who, what, when of why we wear. We are fashion historians and your hosts, April Callahan and Cassidy Zachary. Dress listeners, on Tuesday, we met some Renaissance-era fashion bloggers, and today we get to meet a medieval peasant fashion influencer who has taken the world by storm. The one, the only, greedy peasant. Or rather, we will be chatting with the peasant behind greedy peasant, Tyler Gunther. And for some of our listeners, Tyler and Greedy Peasant may need no introduction, but for those of you who are not in the know already, hold on tight because we are about to take a trip into the queer medieval fever dream of the Greedy Peasant, a sassy queer fashion-loving medieval peasant who graced the world with his presence on TikTok and Instagram during the pandemic and has captured hearts all around the world, definitely including ours. We are both huge fans. And um, if if you can't quite wrap your head around what we're talking about just yet, here is a small sound bite just to give you an idea. What you are seeing right now is rare colorized footage of backstage costume preparations for a medieval pageant in 1422. The tasseled wabagong shark costumes before you were constructed by the sisters of Our Lady of the Sacred Blood of the Most Holy Martyr costume shop. The medieval costume designer's name has been lost to history and will remain unknown, but was most likely gay. And just a little bio on Greedy Present brought to you from Molly Olmsted's Slate article, Make Medieval Stuff Queer Again. So <laughs> Molly <laughs> Molly actually watched hundreds of Greedy Peasant's TikToks and Reels, and there are hundreds, there's so many, and was able to piece together a little bit of a bio about his world and life. And she's, she writes, quote, he makes a living as a junior pageant planner. His twin brother is a monk who has taken a vow of silence. His gruff father wants him to grow up and get a good, honest job as an executioner. He tries too hard to relate to his friends. He dreams of one day designing his village's Christmas pageant. He is gleefully queer and goes on dates, one of which completely flops when the incorruptible body of a saint he and his date have gone to see turns out to be disappointingly headless. <laughs> oh my gosh, I hate it. When my pilgrimage dates go awry, Cass. Uh, but uh, something that Molly's article did not happen to mention is that the greedy peasant is a bit of a fashion lover, and we would argue fashion icon. And we're going to learn more about this um, with the greedy peasant's creator, quote, founder and spiritual leader, Tyler Gunther, who graces us with his presence today because, well, the greedy peasant does not do interviews as of yet. 
<laughs> Tyler, thank you so much for joining us. Tyler, welcome to Dressed. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. And of course, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. This is not actually the first time we have met, apparently, because some paparazzi photos have recently been linked, revealing we were both at Jonathan and David's wedding in 2017. So 2017. Yeah, I think that's very special. That was like a hot ticket. And I'm glad <laughs> we there. But we did not connect because there was so much going on. But yeah, the theater world is so small. I'm like, we must know each other or people. Yeah. In so that's yeah. good to know. Absolutely. And you and I have met, but I have yeah. yet to meet Greedy Peasant, who I know prefers to remain mysterious and doesn't <laughs> do interviews. So you're obviously the next best thing. So thank you for joining me. <laughs> yeah, he's not great at emails or comment sections. <laughs> um, he's very busy, but we have a lot in common. So Yes, you're the next best thing. And I'm so excited to talk to you today and learn more about the peasant behind the greedy peasant. So do you have an earliest memory of dress that sparked your interest in pursuing your career? Yeah, I was thinking about this. And I think the correct answer is this picture book of saints that I had as a little Catholic kid that I just like poured over. And looking at it now, it's like kind of a costume history book because you have like biblical fashion through like the 1900s. And that was, I like have it memorized. And then at my Catholic school, we didn't dress up for Halloween. We dressed up for All Saints Day, which is like the day after. So we would use that book to then make costumes. So that was my first Catholic pageantry costume experience as a little kid. And it was a big deal for me as you can imagine. And then you go to school with like all these other little kids dressed up as like martyrs and um, Virgin Marys. And I just remembered also vividly being like, this is, this is real life. I like this. <laughs> like, and my... also just in those first two minutes, so much about Greedy Peasant is making sense. Thank you. That's what I would <laughs> Because it wasn't like I come from a particularly fashionable lifestyle, but like Catholic imagery is like very bold and dynamic and dramatic and flamboyant. It was intended to be that way, right? Because so many yeah. people couldn't read. And so it yeah. was intended to be this display of wealth and pageantry. Yeah. So you have like St. Sebastian always has arrows sticking out of him because you just need to know like that's him. So then to have like a little third grader going to school with like arrows sticking out of them because we're just so normalized to that kind of like dramatic imagery, I think affected me. <laughs> That's why Obviously. <laughs> we're here today. Yeah, it makes sense. And how did you come to costume design as a career? I, I think when I just learned about it as a concept that just like made so much sense to me as like junior high because it's not like I knew any, I didn't know any costume designers. I didn't know how that worked. I didn't know that was a job, Right. but I had an art teacher like explain to me the Priscilla Queen of the Desert costumes. Right. I hadn't seen, like Netflix wasn't out. So I just remember her describing them to me and then being like, and they won the Oscar, which I knew what the Oscars were. So I was like, it just like, something was like, that's what I want to be because there's this whole career that seems so exciting and wonderful. And I didn't know anything about it. 
So I was kind of like saying I was going to be a costume designer for a long time, thinking that no one would believe me because nobody in Arkansas knew one. So then I like went to school for it and was like, oh, this is what costume design is. It's not like rose colored glasses. Right. It's a lot of work. (laughs) A lot of work. It's um, nobody warned me just exactly what all goes into the behind the scenes of making art. But yeah, I still think it's kind of the most fascinating jobs, the psychology of it, the history, the the fact that you do get to jump between sci-fi and medieval and modern. Yeah. And it's a hugely creative field as well. And I, I studied costume design, but I, as our listeners will know, only really, really enjoyed, or the part I enjoyed the most was the historical research and then oh. parlaying that into the fashion history field of realizing, oh, I can be a fashion historian, but it, oh. it was directly connected to my training as a, as a costume designer. Can you tell us just a little bit before we dive into Greedy, just about mm-hmm. what you were doing before Greedy? Like, tell us a little bit about your career in costume design. Yeah, I was lucky because a Shakespeare festival started in my hometown when I was in high school. So I started volunteering in that costume shop. And once again, it was just like, oh, these are my people. Like right. they were all so like smart and funny and knew what they were doing and knew how to sew costumes. So then I kept bouncing around to different like Shakespeare festivals and opera festivals. Went to grad school for costume design and then moved to New York and did costume design for one year and was like, oh no, <laughs> I don't think I can do this forever just because suddenly it was like you're a one-person show who's supposed to design an entire costumer sometimes don't have any support but they're treated as if they do and I think they're the best people the most talented people but I'm like I don't think I'm cut out for this which was disappointing when that's what you've been training for like going to undergrad and going to grad school like sometimes you're losing money on shows because you're just like wanting the costumes to look so good but you don't have the budgets to support them. So yeah, it was like a little bit of a shock to the system. And then I got so lucky because I started working for an artist as an assistant and that was more steady. I worked for Robin Frohart, who's this brilliant artist and puppeteer and theater maker. So I started working for her like full time. So I was no longer like bouncing around from theater to theater. And that I think gave me the space to start developing my own work. Cause I had this kind of like, I was with her four days a week working on the plastic bag store, her project. And there was just some like stability, which was great. That year at grad school, it was just so like going to all these different theaters and different meetings. And yeah, you really have to, you're kind of your own champion in the theater field too. It's a lot of hustle, a lot of work um, going from job to job if you're not like at a theater specifically full time. So, but obviously you honed your skills, like your construction skills, all of these things are going to come into play when we talk about greedy, but I also want to mention, and those are our listeners who follow you. You're a super talented illustrator yourself. Oh, thank you. And I like went through your entire personal Instagram. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There's been some phases. There's been some error. Yeah. And so you have this like series, you really see it develop. Yes. You know, you, there's a series of artworks through over the years that celebrate historical figures. And you really created this like fun, unique style, um, kind of these presenting these comical historical facts, um, often intermingled with fashion. And then you have like this unique illustrative style combined with this signature wit that we all know and love today. Thank- you have like first lady facts in 2018. <laughs> Uh, you had things I did not know about the British monarchy. That was really fun. 
just things like one of my favorites was Queen Anne reigned 1702 to 1714, quote, Anne had a notorious fight with her best friend, the Duchess of Marlborough, outside a church in 1708. And then you have these two sassy ladies that are like, do you think anyone heard us? No, we're good. Anyways, all of that's relayed in like this one little square on Instagram. So yes. you really start to see the workings of things that are going to play out in the greedy peasant universe. <laughs> totally. No, I didn't expect. Um, I appreciate you going through all of that because it's totally just an escalation to where we are now. A hundred percent. Because as you liked the costume research aspect, I love the costume illustration aspect. So I'm kind of like, if I was just illustrating all day, I'd be happy. So Instagram turned into this platform that like supported that impulse for like, I can illustrate things that aren't tied to a production and maybe this platform will be a good place for them. But yeah, it was totally like the British monarchy uh, illustration series led to Greedy Peasant because I learned I had the whole stretch of medieval monarchs which I didn't know anything about. And so having to research them to make these comics led to Greedy Peasant. So it's fun that, yeah, Instagram is now this time capsule for all of us where you're like, for sure. wow, 2018 was very different, but also there's like clues to what's about yeah. in all of our lives. So there's hints at the origins and inspiration of Greedy Peasant, such as in 2016, there's a post of a statue and you write current mood, historic cement art. I'm like, hmm. okay, okay. And then, yeah, it was an old one. And then in 2018, a now recognizable figure is photographed in front of some art at the cloisters, felt medieval, pun, F-E-L-T, medieval, might delete later. You obviously did not. (laughs) Against my better judgment, I made a medieval puppet show and then I had to make a medieval outfit to match. It's a very slippery slope. So is this where Greedy Peasant was born? Yes. I'm so glad you brought this up because it's hard to explain it all because it was like working for Robin, brilliant artist, creator of the plastic bag store, was like, you should apply for this puppet residency, which I did and had the best time called Object Movement. And I, I just don't, somehow I ended up making the show about this queer relationship between Pierce Gaveston and Edward II. And then I was like, I need an outfit. So that's where I made this outfit for no money. Like there was no social media aspect really to it. We were performing in a church balcony in Manhattan, which is kind of like the perfect venue for me of this like old church. And I attempted to tell this like factual story about this like queer relationship in medieval times, which I just found so exciting. And yeah, that's like where that costume came from. But that was like years before TikTok, years before anything really took off. Um, But then suddenly I had this like peasant costume in my closet. And whenever I like was like, I could do something with this, I had it ready. So that was nice. It wasn't like I made it for social media. I made it for this live show. So there wasn't all this pressure, I guess, like that it could just kind of like build over time, like you're saying. And then I did another puppet residency because Robin told me to apply for it, which I appreciate. And then on that one, I was like, I don't really want to be factually accurate anymore. Like, this is so hard. (laughs) I shouldn't say that. (laughs) But it's like applying modern queer labels to historical figures, as you know, is not always the easiest thing because it's a completely different context. So I'm like, let me make my own character who is queer, 
who identifies as queer, who is happy, who lives in this world, and let's build a world around him. So that's that was the next step to where we are now, was kind of not being like, I'm a storyteller of factual information, to I'm a very busy peasant who works at a costume <laughs> shop in 1423. That's what's up. I think that answered your question. Yeah. So, and Parley's perfectly into my next one, which is, so greedy peasant lives in a quote, queer medieval fever dream. That is his out of this world world. That's like loosely inspired, but also inspired by history or rather it's an imaginative retelling of history and a history that so often excludes the queer experience in the written record, because we know queer people have been in existence Mm -hmm. from time immemorial, right? Yeah. So can you tell us about greedy peasants world and his place in it you mentioned working i think you said 1423 in a costume shop yes he is an aspiring costume pageant designer in 1423 and really the basis was showing a queer figure in a historical period just like being happy not being concerned or persecuted or judged or like um being kind of defined by how he shouldn't be queer in this context. I just wanted to see this queer figure be happy, which I didn't grow up with that kind of representation. And like, I grew up very ashamed of my queerness and felt like I needed to hide it and felt like I wasn't hiding it correctly. So for me, like crafting this world was kind of like a reset button for myself which is a little therapy conversation. I was going to say, it feels like a little healing as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because I'm like, what if there just was a version of myself that wasn't nervous throughout my entire adolescence about being gay? Like, I don't even know what that Tyler looks like. So the peasant is like very healing. And like, hopefully other people can connect to that feeling of just like, yeah, he's just like living his life and he's totally embracing his queer imagination but not at odds with a conservative backlash and placing him in the medieval times which I was kind of taught was like the most catholic the most conservative the most dangerous time to be queer which now I understand like it's not that clear cut like right they viewed it all so differently and we were just kind of taught a version of history that is helpful to more heteronormative ways of thinking, but that's not actually history. Yeah, as I always say, and I'm not alone in this sentiment, but history is just made up of stories, right? And it's how people have written those stories, who gets to write those stories, you know, that draft the narrative of history, but that is just one perspective. Often it excludes people. Often it is very narrow in its depiction of a very diverse world. Definitely. And like, I'm not a medieval historian, but totally running into that but they were roommates sentiment you know like right they were blood brothers like oh but would it be so bad <laughs> like you're kind of saying that because it's so bad to imagine they're gay whereas I'm like let's just approach this as like maybe it'd be great maybe it'd just be normal there's no pressure for it to be good or bad so I like that yeah it's and greedy peasant is living his best life I mean let's yeah. be honest he is I mean he's very stressed as I am. It's not about being gay, <laughs> it's about like designing the Christmas pageant. It's like that is stressing him out. And I love that, that that's his um, concern. Whereas, like, mine was like, how do I like hide myself? How do I adapt myself? Right, I, like, right, right. Police my behaviors. And yeah, I'm hoping 
that other people can can enjoy that aspect of it too. I mean, Tyler, there's no question. You are like a global phenomenon. Greedy Peasant is like a global phenomenon, as your website says, created during a plague quarantine. <laughs> the timing of it was so odd to have like the world on pause during this plague and be like, suddenly my medieval content is a little bit more relevant than I thought. Because like we said, it started in like 2018. So this was very pre-plague. But yeah, it, it's been the most exciting thing. Can you tell us a little bit about what that journey looked like? Like you started recording Greedy on TikTok. I'm not on TikTok, so forgive me. I, I, I came to him via Instagram, but you started recording these little videos. And can you kind of tell us a little bit about that journey and how it just kind of started? My guess would be spiraling because people just fell in love with Greedy and it's very easy to do. Thank you. Yeah, it was, I think it was just like the funniest start because I was with Robin Frohart, again, major figure. We were in Australia in a plague quarantine. We had to quarantine for two weeks in hotels. And I had brought my peasant costume to post to Instagram. And I remember on like the eighth day of quarantine, she texted and was like, if you don't make a TikTok, you're fired. Joking. <laughs> because I was terrified. She's like your champion. Oh yeah, she is the best. And um, but I was like, no, I don't want to be bullied by teenagers. No, thank you. But I also kind of needed someone to be like, just try. And so TikTok was this like perfect place because I didn't know anyone on there. None of my friends followed me, none of my family followed me. So I could just be kind of weird, weirder than I felt I could be on Instagram. And that loosened me up and people connected with it because suddenly there's this like medieval peasant on TikTok with no context. Like I started, I mean, there was no Tyler account on TikTok. There's just greedy peasant. Whereas on Instagram, as you saw, there's like this whole history and buildup. Whereas TikTok was like, we're off to the races. That It was, yeah, it was good. I needed that kind of like fresh start. And then now it's on Instagram as well. And like that community has been so wonderful and supportive, but yeah, like locking me in a hotel room for two weeks and not letting me out is how you make a greedy peasant. <laughs> like, <laughs> and that's not typical. That's not a typical thing, but we all went through it. This like plague restrictions. You're kind of like faced with yourself, right? And this quarantine that's so unprecedented for all of us. And I think that it bred your like creative energy yeah. and uh, your confidence even to to kind of put that out there is kind of incredible yeah I think for so many people especially people in the arts like having that pause like everything was so bad of course but having that pause where you're not just constantly like trying to find the next job did give you yeah. some brain space yeah I think it left yeah. a lot of people on this journey I just happened to be wearing a wig and covered in tassels <laughs> like <laughs> which we're gonna talk all about so <laughs> First, I kind of want to talk about the other inhabitants of Greedy Peasants oh, yeah. World. Can you tell us about your team? Because these are very, very special individuals. Yes, I'm sure I'm going to leave someone out. But the costume shop is run by the Sisters of Our Lady of the Sacred Blood of the Most Holy Martyr, which is helpful to me because they can all wear the same outfit. But it can be like a Santa Fe Opera costume shop size of like 80 people. Because that's what I picture, that he's like the token peasant working at this large costume shop, which is really meant as like a love letter to all the great costume shops I've worked at. Cause I think they're the funniest, smartest people. And if you get this, a sewing machine next to the right person, it's like 
just the best experience, getting to sew all day and chat. So that's how I picture that aspect of this world. But then I also have these reliquary ladies, which I saw you've posted to your account, these like reliquary bust that are at the Met Museum. And I've just loved them forever. Photo real almost depictions, right? So they're so beautiful. They're so beautiful. And they are so helpful to help me talk about these like absurd aspects of Catholicism because they're always discussing like Catholic relics. And they're just like, their job is to hold body chunks of dead people. And I think it's the funniest thing. Like they're these beautiful sculptures who exist to like hold fragments of skulls. I mean, that whole practice is so interesting. Because I grew up with that being normal. And then you take a step back and you're like, huh, I don't know if I didn't grow up with that, if I would see that that way. So I love having them to kind of, it's their day job. Like we work in the side aisle of this large cathedral holding dead body chunks. I'm like cracking up just to about these like chatty Cathy's gossip queens who always kind of have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder, which makes sense because they're made of wood. Bridget, was your relic stolen? Yes. The lower jawbone of St. Catherine? That's right. You're handling this so professionally. Well, you know what they say about stolen Catholic relics. Bridget, you know those menus seem most backwards logic. Well, I just overheard some priest talking about the robbery and it made a lot of sense. Did they say a saint's relic can only be stolen if the saint allowed it? Exactly. And if a saint didn't want their relic stolen, they could just miraculously make it too heavy to move. Mm-hmm. Which St. Catherine did not. I mean, if she had the power, she could have at least tripped him on the way out. How about a little Catholic guilt? Whatever happened to that? Or she could have sent an owl on the back staircase. But she didn't. And obviously her and her god have bigger plans for her jawbone than little old me. No, 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 no. It's not like that. Do you have hopes for what your next relic might be? You know, I want something from the Last Supper. Is that bad? No, you deserve it. And it's Pride Month. Cass, as you know, we are going to be expanding our fashion history travel offerings this year. Mm -hmm. So you better bet that I'm going to be brushing up on my language skills with Rosetta Stone. With more than 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and so many more, that world out there is practically at the tip of your tongue. And that's right, dress listeners. For more than 30 years, Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning. There are no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language, which is incredible. You learn by immersion, and their programs are available to use on your desktop or as an app. And let's not forget that there is an amazing built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, so you learn the proper accent from the very start. For limited time dress listeners, you can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off by visiting rosettastone.com forward slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com forward slash today. Dress listeners, we often refer to ourselves on the show as dress detectives, but what if we told you that you could travel back in time and solve your own fashionable mysteries? Because you can. 
by joining us in playing June's Journey. And April, I can't tell you how much fun I've had playing June's Journey. It's this (laughs) hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour and intrigue of the 1920s with this diverse cast of characters. And basically, each new scene takes you further into the story of a thrilling murder mystery that sets the main protagonist, June Parker, on a quest to solve the murder of her sister and uncover her family's many secrets. You will sleuth with June in the antique parlors of New York, the chic sidewalks of Paris, and you can even build your own luxury island estate where you get to decorate and plant decadent gardens. And there's also a chat and challenge feature where you can play alongside friends. So join us, dress listeners, in putting on your detective hats and escape to a bygone age of mystery, danger, and romance. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Have you found the keys to unlock your best trip? On a Trafalgar tour, you unlock more than just the world. We give you the key to let down your walls and make lifelong friends. The key to discovering hidden talents and fresh perspectives. From one-of-a-kind experiences to iconic destinations, Trafalgar gives you the keys to unlock your best self. Discover more at trafalgar.com slash unlock. That's T-R-A-F-A-L-G-A-R dot com slash unlock. Tour differently. People will riot, some people, two people, if I don't mention my children, Gwen and Dwin, who are these giant yes, thank you. <laughs> Sometimes I'm an unfit mother and I don't engage with them as much as I should. But it's just incredibly funny to me that someone sent me like a three foot tassel, which I like named Dwin and is my child. And then uh, the New York Renaissance Fair gave me an even larger tassel. So now I'm a mother of two and they're very important to me. (laughs) I'm like, this peasant is a single mother who's just trying to get by. And I don't know, it's, as you know, like it's reacting to what's happening in real time with social media. So I did not think that would be the storylines I was on, but here we are. And I wouldn't change a thing. I love my babies. (laughs) I mean, for those who haven't seen Greedy Peasant, it's like a medieval peasant in a 21st century world world kind of he does yeah yeah but he still lives in the medieval era right the medieval queer fever dream sometimes I explain it by like he lives in medieval New York so he lives in this like gothic revival world because in New York there's so much gothic revival architecture so he lives in kind of this like the imagination of those like Americans who built all these like apartment complexes and churches and infrastructure that's like very medieval looking. I like that. He lives in the imagination of medieval New York. I think that's a perfect explanation. It's more that than like, I'm in London in 1423. So we of course have to talk about Greedy's relationship to fashion because we're a fashion history podcast. And I mean, he is a bona fide clothes horse and arguably the supreme medieval fashion icon, which for a peasant who is by definition part of the lower classes, is no small feat. And to say that he's obsessed with sleeves and tassels, as you've already referenced, is an understatement. There is a tassel gallery on the website. People send you tassels and you are so kind as to upload them to your gallery, which is amazing. Thank you. (laughs) And of course, there's the 12 sleeves of Christmas. I mean, there's so much here to unpack, but maybe you can just tell us a little bit about Greedy Peasant's relationship to dress. Yes. 
I remember reading somewhere that like medieval times was unique in Western fashion because menswear was either equal to women's fashion or even more opulent, flamboyant, kind of extravagant. Yeah. yeah. And growing up with like 1990s men's fashion in Arkansas, which could not be more boring, um, hot take, but it was like, wait, like the, the men were the dressers? Like, I loved that. And then you look at the paintings and it's like, yes, they were saying so much with what they did. Whereas now you see a group of world leaders and they're all just like wearing suits that are very conservative. Right. But you look at these paintings of those medieval figures and yeah you, you can see so much so for me it just gave me permission to kind of like if you're not trying to match that energy you're not doing medieval right you know and so uh, my outfit is like these huge sleeves these leggings these like heeled boots a little beret and at this point that just right. feels yeah it's like that's jeans and a t-shirt like that's that's where we're starting so then when I get to make like a medieval pageant costume that's so much more opulent and is inspired by all of this medieval artwork it just feels normal which is so funny because in my day-to-day -day life I'm not dressed like that on the New York subway I would be way too shy but stepping into that like medieval masculinity gives you such freedom to like explore and add ribbons and tassels and sleeves and I wish that feeling could grow within men's fashion because it just still feels so conservative. Yeah. And things are certainly changing and there's certainly people that challenge that directly. Right. Absolutely. And we've done our listeners one on multiple episodes on like gender bending fashion mm -hmm. and moving beyond the gender binary in fashion. Right. And I'm glad you actually mentioned medieval masculinity because one of your TikToks that went viral oh, yeah. is you countering that narrative by saying, you know, people saying, oh, I wish men would return to being men. Uh and then it's like, Okay, but, and we've talked about this on the show too, yeah. <laughs> but which man exactly? Because as we know, gender changes, it's a construct, it, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman has changed exponentially over time. And so in your TikTok, you're like, okay, well, look at this manly man with his long hair, mm -hmm. his, you know, his form-fitting silk yeah. cross and his tights. And these bright colors. That's where yes. I don't have like the right succinct way to explain it. A lot of it, I think, has to do with like movie depictions of medieval times that we watch. And they're usually styled as like very masculine, very modern masculine. They're very like neutral colors and tough and they're all fighting, covered in mud and bearded. And it's very like when men were men. But when you actually look at medieval artwork and even the armor, it's so flamboyant and colorful. So there, our perception of medieval times has been warped, you know, by like popular pop culture things, which I love and enjoy myself. But I have to remember, like, that's not accurate to the actual times. That's not actually how medieval men dress. That's kind of like what we can handle. Because if um, a modern actor wore something like slightly outside of the norm, like people would be distracted, which is a shame. Yes which is why Greedy Pe Peasant is providing this service yes. <laughs> to all of us by saying like actually putting a mirror up to what we think we know about history. Because even if it is, you know, a mythical imaginative world, there is a lot of truth to what you are saying and presenting. And Greedy Peasant is actually making a major intervention in historical storytelling and how history can be 
approached and told, especially for this social media generation where you need young people to be inspired by history yeah, uh, and to question history as well. Right. Yeah. And I'm curious, like, I mean, you know more about this than I do, but also like when you think of medieval times, it's like very like bare and stark and stone, but it actually was like filled with textiles. They just don't exist anymore. You know, like textiles depreciate or are damaged or are lost. Whereas like the stone remains, but it's good to remember like those spaces were like softer and more colorful and more beautiful than just like a stone chamber that we now read as yeah. like masculine and tough. Like not anything wrong with masculine. There's not one masculine. Yeah. That's the point, right? Yeah. It's a spectrum. Gender is a spectrum. And then you have people so. like wearing these fabulous textiles within those rooms. So it was just, I think- different than what we've been taught as far as for sure. assumption yeah. for these spaces. And um, it's way easier to imagine like this like bold queer imagination within a space like that versus like the medieval torture museum, which seems to be what people <laughs> like associate. Like how did they kill people in the worst way? Like, oh God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, I don't think I've told you this, but your episode is a companion to an episode we're doing on Tuesday on the book of fashion, which I don't know if you've heard of that book. Have you had or have covered that book in your book club? Because that might be appropriate for Greedy Peasants book club, but it's everything we're talking about. Yeah. When you mentioned it, I bought that book immediately, like within 10 minutes and now I have it and I've moved hovels. So I've had to like save that for a later day, but just flipping through it. I'm like, yeah, the work is already done. I don't have to make this up. It's better than anything <laughs> I could imagine what people actually wore. Yes. And a testament to that flamboyant masculinity yes. of the, you know, 15th, 16th, 17th centuries, mm-hmm. right? And it really, and our listeners will know this, and I will not go off on a tangent, <laughs> but that really did not start to change until the 1800s. Yeah. So there's thousands of years of men safely, proudly, yes. happily participating in fashion without it being the ear of society. So- Right. Um, but I digress because I do have to talk to you about sleepness. This time of year, I do get so nostalgic for the sorrowful times and for sleeves. Sleevesmas is a time to look back and remember the new sleeves we've met, the trusty sleeves who've stayed by our elbows, and for the senior sleeves who are on their last leg or arm. For this is what Sleevesmas is all about, overthinking everything. What is it about Greedy Peasant and sleeves and who is making all of these clothes? Yes. My answer is that I can sew, but I'm not a great sewer by any stretch, especially compared to our friends who work in theater who are brilliant. So I was like, I had a time during the plague where I'm like, I could do some sewing, but please don't let me like bite off more than I can chew. Let me start with sleeves. And that was kind of a good way in of me like if I could make 10 sets of sleeves that would be better than me like starting a big tunic project that I never finish and I always remember learning like in medieval times they would change out their sleeves so I'm like to have one tunic that I could just change the sleeves on would be historically accurate and fit my sewing skills so I thought it was it was a little bit of laziness (laughs) of just like what's the like quickest part of a garment the sleeve So that and hats are kind of my go-to, like with my attention span, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like people who do these like historically accurate garments are like my heroes, 
but I know I just like lose steam, you know? <laughs> well, you could have fooled me that you are not a good sewer because especially the sleeve miss images are like art in of themselves. The photographs that you took for the 12 days of sleeve miss are insanely beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, they are. There's such a good like check-in at the end of the year now where I'm like, get to see what's happened over the past year. Cause with social media, it's like moving so fast that it is so fun to be like, let's just have a moment of glamor to like end the year. And like men's sleeves are tubes. Like they're just tubes at this point. And I'm like, to do anything beyond that is exciting to me. So, um, <laughs> and then to make this challenge of like 12 sleeves in 12 days just felt Felt correct, even though it's ridiculous. We're here for it. Thank you. Does Greedy Peasant know that there is a sleeves exhibition opening at the museum at FIT in December? Uh, no. Treated by Colleen Hill. Amazing. An exhibition dedicated exclusively to sleeves. Oh, I'm there. I'm there with sleeves on. Let Greedy know. Yes. Oh, that's fabulous. Can you tell us a little bit about Greedy Peasant's fascination with tassels? How much time do we have? Because... <laughs> 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 that is the topic that I didn't expect. That was another thing where like when I started this journey, did not think tassels would be the symbol. And I'm so glad they are. I liked them, of course, because as a costume designer, if you can make it to the point in the garment where it's done, it's fitted, it's ready, and you can put a tassel in there, it's the final embellishment. That's the best feeling. I don't often make it there. So I have, would have all these tassels in my collection. It's like, when am I going to use these? So I made some videos with them thinking like the joke was that tassels don't have much depth, which I like, do not cut that out because now I'm eating my words. Like now I have this whole appreciation <laughs> of how they're like in every culture, on every continent. And an art form and making them in and of itself. There's such right? a range within them. I know I'm like speechless talking about <laughs> I mean, this is no surprise to me. Greedy peasant loves tassel. There are no time for jokes for we must count down our top 18 tassels at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts. Beginning with this Assyrian relief tassel from around 870 BCE and this copper warrior tassel from the Benin Kingdom in the 16th century and this 18th century French salon panel tassel. And here is a Bodhisattva Maitreya tassel from Pakistan in the late third century. I do love this baby carrier tassel made in Borneo in the 20th century. These wall lights with tassels were made in England in the early 1800s. When I saw this doll's house from the Netherlands, I knew there had to be a tassel in there. And there you have it, a curtain tie-back tassel to scale. Apparently, instruments are a great place to find tassels, including this arched harp from Burma, this kokyu bow from Japan, and this inblown flute from Sudan or Chad in the 19th century. These Chinese altarpiece tassels are from 593 AD. This stunning bandolier bag with tassels was made by a Lenape artisan in the 20th century. And I do love this Greyhound carousel figure sporting early 1900 Provincetown tassels. When is it? And look at this giant tassel on this Roman sculpture from the late first century BCE. This Greek jar has two handles and at least two tassels from 480 BCE. These two tassels here were sculpted in China around 1200 and are worn by a Bodhisattva of compassion. On this Italian lectern, you're going to find some 18th century embossed tassels. And at this point, I was getting hit by some museum fatigue. 
but I could smell more tassels. And I did find this beautiful little gothic gallery. Where are the tassels? And here they are from Spain in the 1590s. What a great day for me and for tassels. I love that people um, now are finding them in their daily life. And it's kind of like they've always been there, but I myself will like notice them in rooms that I've been in before because somehow they're like such an opulent ornamentation and yet you can just kind of glance over them because they're not like functional. And not a part of like our visual parlance very much today at all. No. So kind of like left to history until greedy has brought them has, oh, greedy peasant has brought them back for us it's that within like fashion but somehow they've like really made a name for themselves within like upholstery and it's true so like i go to target and i'm like i can see tin tassels which does feel strange <laughs> that they're on a lunchbox at target and they're also on like an assyrian sculpture at the met museum i just and then like the literature about it like it was kind of a joke like oh a book about tassels and then you start reading it and you're like, no, this is necessary. We need this. This is so fascinating. And people send me tassels to a P.O. box now. And I never know what's going to be in those packages. It's like, I'm guessing they're a tassel, but I have no idea. What kind, what medium, what's the story? It could not be like a nicer gesture. <laughs> and and greedy, greedy Peasant does these fabulous unboxing videos. And they're real. I mean, I like, I turn it on the, ca I turn the camera on. In a box. I'm not acting because people have accused me of acting, which I would never do because yeah, I'm like, I want to share it with, with everyone. Like how fun is it? I can't like say thank you enough to everyone. Cause it's like, it is this community that's like making this happen just as much as I try to. So yeah, like someone sent me the biggest giant yarn tassel and I, I love it. <laughs> and like I said, do you have a tassel gallery on your yes. website, which I'm sure is, is kind of your thank you to the people who send it to you as well. Just that you these are like the pride and joy yeah uh, and synonymous now with the greedy peasant i know which was not the plan but i'm so happy it is and i have them displayed on a wall like i'm enjoying them but i wanted to have like an archive so people could find the tassel that they've sent or look for inspiration um but yeah i used to think like oh i'll, I'll just remember who sent me what thinking it would be like eight total and now i'm like now there's a spreadsheet there's documentation. <laughs> um, well, like I said, you've moved so many people in so many ways. And I think especially during the hardship of the pandemic, when, you know, there was so much uncertainty and so much horror happening around the world, right? Yeah. We needed a respite. Bridgerton, yeah. you know, was one of those things that came out during the pandemic and people just needed that fantastical respite. And Greedy Peasant is another example of that. It was like, mm -hmm. We needed joy. Yeah, I'm so glad. And you've become, yeah, a beloved figure. And I'm so glad uh, and grateful for you and for Greedy Peasant. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I mean, it was just as necessary for me because, yeah, I was like working in theater and the arts, which kind of all went on pause. So, yeah, to have an outlet that other people could connect to, it was like mutually beneficial. It was no hardship yeah. is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I benefited <laughs> as well and... Yeah. And that like we get to connect. I just feel so lucky that I've gotten to talk to like medievalist who I thought were like contacting me to like give me a cease and desist letter. 
and it was the opposite like they're so welcoming and informative and yeah it's it's been such a special experience yeah and such I mean for me personally as a fashion historian does not specialize in medieval fashion history but it's given me an appreciation of it Mm -hmm. in a way that I hadn't had before and I see things now that I I haven't and it's like showing up in my feed now especially because I've been researching you but like (laughs) there was like a list of like medieval dog names that showed up and I was like oh I should share this with greedy peasant um but so yeah it creates a sense of awe and um as well as a sense of community I mean it's just it's really wonderful so Tyler thank you so much for being here just in closing can you tell people where they can find greedy peasant and also how they can support your work for to keep greedy peasant happening for future generations well into the future. Yes, thank you. I it's on TikTok as greedy peasant and Instagram as greedy.peasant. And I want to plug the Patreon because that's really what supports all of this costume making and everything. People think I have like a secret real job, but I don't. It's this now, which is the best job. I love that. Yeah, and it's supported by the Patreon. So it's like super generous. It's a subscription service, if you don't know what Patreon is. So you can pay like $3 a month. And then I make these extended exclusive videos. So recently, it's been more like costume focused. We made a medieval beekeeper outfit. And then this month, I made a headdress inspired by... The tassel headdress. Yes, like inspired by Marlene Stewart's costume design for Tu Wong Fu, the movie. So on those, we get to do like deeper dives and they're longer videos. So if you're interested, the Patreon's like fun to check out. And there's a store. I never thought I'd have a store. So you can buy like, there's art prints and stickers. And yeah, I hope, I want the website to just be a fun place to like click around and look at um, It's super fun. Castle Archive, maybe buy a sticker, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And thank you so much for being here. Please extend our thank yous to Greedy Peasant as well. I will. We're very much looking forward to all of the upcoming videos and we will definitely stay in touch. Yes. Thank you so much. Tyler, thank you for joining us today on Dressed. I hope our listeners who are not already following the Greedy Peasant do so immediately at Greedy Peasant on Instagram and TikTok. And we will, of course, provide links to Tyler and and Greedy's work in our show notes. But I think that does it for us today, dress listeners. May you consider bringing your historical fashion fantasy to life next time you get dressed. And may you also consider joining us in New York City this December for one of our fashion history day tours, dress listeners. You can send us an email at hello at dressedhistory.com for more information or direct message us on Instagram at dressed underscore podcast. Instagram is also where you'll find images and reels accompanying each week's episodes. If you want to find the Instagram content specifically connected to this episode, check out the hashtag dressed319. That's dressed and the numbers 319. And also remember, you can now listen to Dressed ad-free for just $3 a month. If you would like to subscribe to our exclusive content to receive the ad-free version of Dressed in your feed, you can check out the link in our show notes and also in our Instagram link tree. If you have a moment and you would like to take the time to rate and review us on your podcast listening platform of choice, we always appreciate your support. More Dressed coming your way on Tuesday. New year, new credit scores. Chime makes it easier to build credit by using your own money to make on-time payments with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa credit card. Use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. 
To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a qualifying direct deposit. There's no annual fee or credit check required when applying. Get started at Chime.com slash build. That's Chime.com slash build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members of FDIC. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary.